no one was really understanding what I was going through and I just felt so alone with it. When it came on, it, it just felt so different to anything I'd ever experienced. I never, ever, ever thought I'd get better. I thought I'd ruined my life. I'm going to always have this baby. It was only until I found the Cedar House support group that just changed everything. There were so many different things with each and every person in the group that you could relate to. We just had all a natural bond. This does go. I am a better person now than I've ever been in my whole life. Completely fixed. It did take a while, but now I am 100% better. Here I am now. I love my son again. You will be all right. Trust me, I've been through it. Hi, welcome to the You, Me and PND podcast with me, Rian Hall. Today is a really special episode because I'm joined by six guests, Liz, Cherie, Gabby, Emma, James and Louise. Liz has been on the podcast before. She is the leader of the postnatal depression support group, which I attend called Cedar House Support Group. She's also a counsellor and she supported one of our guests, James, through his experience of paternal postnatal depression. All the other guests on the show today have also been through the Cedar House support group with postnatal depression or anxiety or depression following psychosis. Each guest shares beautifully and bravely their stories and their struggles. And you'll hear common themes in all of these stories. One is hope and success you will get through this no matter how hard it is and no matter how difficult things have been and two you're not on your own other people are struggling too um even if you feel like you're the only one you really are not on your own we do discuss some painful and hard things in this podcast so a trigger warning this content may not be suitable for everyone I hope it helps you. Guys, welcome to the You, Me and PND podcast. Thank you so, so much for coming to chat to me today. It would be really good for our listeners to understand who is with us today. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving us a little background into your story to do with PND or paternal PND? Gabby, can we start with you? So I'm Gabby. I've got a 10-month-old son called Percy. My experience of postnatal depression is slightly different in some ways because I was actually diagnosed with postpartum psychosis after Percy arrived with us and my postnatal depression kind of emerged when I was recovering from the psychosis. Basically I was struggling with just massive massive irrational anxiety and eventually I just sort of became completely overwhelmed by it and my mood plummeted really suddenly and really severely and um, it actually led me to take two attempts on my own life. Obviously 
those attempts weren't successful, which now that I'm better, I'm really glad about. But for quite a few months after the suicide attempts, I spent the whole time wishing that I wasn't here. I rejected Percy, which just mortifies me on reflection. But I was just so, so, so unwell. The depression completely transformed me. I don't recognise the person that I was then. But just briefly to say, if you are feeling dreadful at the moment, um, A, get help, because there is help available, um, but also you will come through it. People told me that I would come through it when I was really ill, and I thought they must be barking mad, but here I am now, I love my son again, I enjoy life again, and so just to kind of say, um, you will be all right, trust me, I've been through it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Louise. Yeah, um, my name's Louise. I'm a mum of two, Alexander 11 and Ava 6. Looking back, I had symptoms with my first child. Very anxious, neurotic, obsessed about his health. I don't remember getting dressed for the first couple of months. So that was with my first son. With Ava, I would say after four days, I wasn't myself I was crying um, and I phoned the midwife and she said oh it's just you know normal new mum nerves I quickly became anxious worrying all the time I couldn't sleep couldn't eat and I would say the breaking point was one night when I was having panic attacks throughout the whole night I was just in complete terror and I remember going in to change Ava's nappy into her bedroom and I knew I was going to pass out so I put her in the cot and I went into my husband and I just passed out in the bed and then I went to the doctors that day um, he said I think you might have postnatal depression and I said no I haven't I just need to get some sleep if you can give me something to help me sleep I'll be fine I just got worse and worse I was admitted to the priory saw a psychiatrist he upped my medication to full strength. You know, I had one-to-one -one sessions and then I had some CBT counselling as well over the phone, but I was so ill I couldn't take on the tools to even help rationalise what they were saying. So that didn't really help me. And I would say it was only until Ava was about nine months old I found the Cedar House support group and that just changed everything. Liz is the founder. I believed Liz that I was going to get better. And I think it was because she'd been through it. It did take a while, three or four years. But now I am, I'd say, 100% better. Um, and I'm feeling better than I did before I had postnatal depression. Quite a few people say they've come through stronger than they were before they got ill. And actually the experience, even though it's devastating and awful, it can make them a stronger person eventually. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. So should we go to James and you tell us a little about, about your paternal PND? Yeah. So I'll start by saying I definitely feel like the odd one out, obviously. I've got a little girl called Evie. She's now three and a half. Yeah, so even before she was born, I could tell something wasn't right. I've always been quite a bit of a fixer. If anything's ever wrong, I, I like to try and get it sorted straight away. Um, nothing's ever too much trouble. But this, yeah, when it came on, it was it just felt so different to anything I'd ever experienced. I couldn't eat sleep think about anything and I was just obsessed with thinking why am I feeling like this because I was so in control as a, as a person normally so she's three and a half now I, I mean I'll say right away this does go 
I am a better person now than I've ever been in my whole life, completely fixed. And a large part of that's thanks to Liz and Cedar House. Uh, but yeah, with regards to my story, I realized I was struggling straight away, went to see a GP. And truthfully, my experience wasn't very good. They suggested um, medication fairly quickly and also seeing somebody. That didn't work for me because I think at the time I was too involved in where I was to actually be able to take on the advice that I was being given. As time passed, the therapy I'd been given in conjunction with speaking to people like Liz and close friends and family, yeah, eventually um, it did start to sink in. It probably took me about two years before I started to feel like the old me again. I always remember Liz actually saying, you'll not be the old you, because that's what I was obsessed with becoming, what I want to get back to being me, the me I knew. And she said, you'll never be that person again, you'll be a new you, which I wasn't sure at the time that I wanted to hear, because I just wanted that security of what I knew I was. But hands up, you, you were right, Liz. <laughs> Same as with everything else. <laughs> totally knew me, far more compassion than I ever had before for people. The idea of mental health issues before to me, I, I would have just brushed it off and said well, what are you doing you're a bloke man up that that normal thing but no this whole experience has um given me far much more compassion for people more empathy and I, I can honestly say i would never wish it away it sounds crazy to say now but i'm grateful for the experience i, I genuinely am sheree do you want to tell us a little bit about your story um, my story so i was put on bed rest while i was pregnant having competent cervix so it's shorter than other people's. I also got preeclampsia, so I was basically lying down for a lot of the pregnancy in and out of hospital. My mood was quite low then. When my daughter was born, the whole thing was so medical and I wasn't in control of anything. And I'm not like a controlling person, but just that lack of control. And um, I ended up having a, an emergency C-section. And when she was born, they put her where I couldn't see her but they'd had to numb me up to my neck so I couldn't move my arms, I couldn't pick her up. And I think from then, the postnatal depression just was there. I just was like, this is the worst day of my life, I've made a mistake. And everyone around me was just saying, oh, she's so beautiful. I was like, this is the worst day of my life. So I knew I wasn't well. And because I'd been on um, bed rest, I knew the mental health midwives in the hospitals, so I was in touch with them. I ended up phoning them up just crying, trying to wait to get some therapy, psychotherapy. When my daughter was six weeks old, I started to go to Cedar House and that helped massively. My therapy also started, but I didn't find it helpful. I was too ill. A lot of intrusive thoughts. I'm scared of spiders. So I just get intrusive thoughts of spiders up close coming into my head when I'm just doing nothing and just feeling really scared, really low, and the constant thought of if I was dead, I'd have a break. So it was really, really dark. I never, ever, ever thought I'd get better. I thought I'd ruined my life. I'm gonna always have this baby. I did connect with her as well, so I couldn't really admit to myself that I had postnatal depression. I thought I was just really tired. So yeah, eventually I started taking medication. That mixed with therapy and the support group really helped, but I never, ever thought I'd be okay and now I'm here she's nearly two and I feel so much better thank you very much um should we go to Elizabeth Wise I'm Liz and I have two daughters who are much much older than your children now both in their 30s and I've recently just 10 days ago become a granny for the first time which is lovely I had severe postnatal depression after both my girls and like the rest of you never believed that I would recover at all. 
I had high anxiety levels, probably more than low mood. I was very suicidal after my first daughter, Emma, for about the first nine months of her life. And I had no connection, no bonding with her at all. I just felt that I shouldn't have had her. I was treated with antidepressants and psychiatric intervention. And I suppose uh, Emma was about one before I felt any sort of bonding and attachment to her. And I have to say, to other women uh, and men who are out there, if they feel that they're not bonding and attaching with their babies, that will come. Uh, and then with Holes, three years after I had Emma, my depression took a bit of a different stance. It focused very much on anxiety about my own health, particularly a fear of cancer. So if I had a headache, I had a brain tumor, if I had a pain in my breast, I had breast cancer, and I was constantly going to the GP so again, I was put on medication input from a psychiatrist, and I also had some really good CBT for that as well. So I didn't have any depression or anxiety before I had my daughters, and 31 years later, I've had no depression or anxiety since. And I have been through quite a few crises since I had my daughters, and I didn't feel depressed or anxious like I did with my PND. So put this illness into perspective, it can be the worst thing that you ever go through. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so then obviously I made a full recovery and to cut a long story short, I trained as a counselor in the end of the nineties and I knew that I wanted to specialize in postnatal depression. And I've been supporting and counseling mums and their families ever since and set up the Cedar House Support Group Charity in 2004. So that's me. Thank you so much, Liz. Emma, do you want to tell us your story? My name's Emma. I have a two and a half year old called Oliver. Um, I did have a history of anxiety, um, always in a job, never in my home life. This is now my full time job as a mummy. And I'd say from the word go, I, um, I suffered uh, with postnatal um, depression. Previous to Oliver, I had an operation to help me get pregnant. That was painful and fell pregnant shortly after that operation uh, to lose the baby on Valentine's Day of all days and then fell pregnant a few months later with Oliver and so during that pregnancy I was treated as a special case if you like um, in the maternity ward so little seeds were already planted that at any point I could lose the baby I'd get from my friends, oh, yes, I, you know, so-and-so went through a little phase of that. Um, it will pass. You'll feel fine. This is just new mummy nerves. You know, everything was just so carefree with them. No one was really understanding what I was going through. And I just felt so alone with it. And recovering from a C-section, I then got cellulitis on top of that. So I was just in my own bubble with Oliver, constantly creating these sort of demons in my head. And it wasn't until um, I went to one of the children's centre playgroups that I was in conversation with one of the helpers there. And she said, I'm going to give you a leaflet. It's a Cedar House group. And I think you've got postnatal depression. And it just came as such a shock because depression you know I'm not like that I'm very happy normally yes you know I'm, I'm you know maybe a bit sort of tired and anxious or whatever but you know I, I didn't relate it to postnatal depression in any way and then it wasn't until I decided to take that leaflet ring up the number or email sorry Liz she rang me and the first thing she said was how are you doing and 
it just came out and it was just so nice and a breath of fresh air to speak to someone who got it, who could, or you could just tell she just got it. And she's welcomed me into her group as the other girls did. And it just helped to normalize how I was feeling. Not necessarily everyone had gone through exactly the same, but there were so many different things when each and every person in the group that you could relate to. And we just had all a natural bond. And with that and the right medication, I'm now at a point where I can see the wood for the trees. I can welcome in things that bring me happiness, help me to relax. My relationships are mending again. I can trust my husband again to look after Oliver, which I couldn't before because it wasn't my way of doing things. You know, the OCD that comes into it. It's allowed me to calm down and think at the end of my day, it's okay if you don't do something in preparation for the following day. The world is not going to end. And that is such a big step for me to allow myself a little bit of me time as well. So many similarities in what you've individually said. It's like, that's what I felt. That's what I felt like the emergency cesarean. Like, oh my gosh, that is such a bad start. If you want to think about what your body goes through, the trauma and then your hormones, I think that really does impact your ability to feed and also your mood. And also I, I did exactly what you did, Emma. I was hell bent on breastfeeding. I spent the first three months obsessing about being able to breastfeed I was fanatical about it I was a failure unless I could breastfeed and she just would not latch on no matter what I did it wouldn't work Um, and then I turned into this absolutely obsessed person always pumping and I felt I hated anyone that could breastfeed and I thought I was weak because I couldn't breastfeed and and now I look back and just think oh my goodness you know I was so ill but you don't know that at the time because it's the first time you've been through it often you don't know what's normal or what's typical repetitive thoughts and the intrusive thoughts that was one of my biggest challenges when the doctor um he gave me um some medication to help me sleep And I became obsessed that I was going to become addicted to the medication. And all day, every day, churning in my head was, can I take a tablet tonight? Can I take half or one or two? And I would just try and find the solution and the answer in my head all day. And it was just intrusive. Just there's like chanting all the time in my head. I had not appreciated before I had postnatal depression how debilitating intrusive thinking can be and rumination can be I've I've not really had that before the postnatal depression I hadn't really experienced that in any kind of depth and it your mind becomes someone used the word demon before it's like your mind becomes this kind of prison where you're creating all of this worry and it's so real to you like Other people might kind of have that ability to distance and go, yeah, but okay, let's be a bit more objective. But in your head, you're just so consumed by it. And I remember when I was in a mother and baby unit, they gave me four different types of tablet to get me to sleep because I was so wired. And I was thinking the same thing. Oh my God, I'm going to be living in a mother and baby unit when I'm 80 and I'm going to be addicted to medication. And now I'm just a druggie. Like even something that's supposed to be a little tool to help you through and sleep is so vital it becomes this whole different rabbit hole you go down doesn't it and that's Mm -hmm. something you fixate on it's just the nature of it you will fixate on all these different things 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think one of the biggest problems is is the more you want to think about something and make a really big deal out of it in your head, the more you're just telling yourself that it's something to worry about and therefore you just literally obsess with it constantly. And then all you're doing is manifesting all these negative thoughts, which is then what, what you, you do. Um, I genuinely believe um, what you think will happen. It's just exhausting, isn't it? The relentless yep. nature of that. And I, I remember I, I kept saying, I, I don't want this life. I don't want this life because I couldn't escape myself. And that's the, the devastating thing with mental health. Do You can't run away from your mind and you can't run away from yourself. Mm. And that is so awful when your mind is the thing that's causing you to feel so much pain. It's truly devastating when you're in it. Yeah, you can't escape your mind. Like for me, I... I couldn't sleep because I was so scared of the thoughts I was thinking. I just wasn't sleeping at all. And it's hard to make good decisions when you're in that kind of space. I went to my GP while I wasn't well, quite early on. And they kind of just said, yeah, just take these pills. It will help. And the dismissiveness of that almost put me off trying to get more help. So I just would say that it's so hard when you're not well to push to get that help. In terms of the medication, it's really important for people to know that antidepressants do work and they work really well because a lot of people don't have the information given to them that they ought to have given. So with GPs in particular, I think they only have a certain amount of time and they don't have time enough to explain how they work and how they're not addictive unless you abuse them, of course. And it's certainly something we discuss a lot in the groups, as you know, about medication for a lot of women that are fearful to take it. If you sort of make an analogy as to if you were a diabetic, you would probably not refuse your insulin. It's like James was saying, those awful intrusive thoughts that you can't possibly stop because it's a chemical imbalance in your brain that's making that happen to you. And so one of the things that can correct that, of course, is by taking medication. And it's really important for people to know that medication does work. It's non-addictive too. Who would say that their expectations in terms of their GP support exceeded their expectations? I would. So you had a good experience, Liz. Anybody else say that their GP exceeded their expectations? I would. I think the first and most important thing is that they listen and she fully listened. I will say that I was very lucky that she used to work in maternity ward, but she wasn't forceful. She worked with me and put my mind at rest. In my case, I went at 10 days postnatal and I, I was suicidal at 10 days postnatal and I said, I've got postnatal depression. And the doctor said, let's not rush to put you back on meds and you, know, you don't have, you don't, let's not rush to label it. You've just had a lot of trauma going on. Fast forward six weeks was, I was then diagnosed with PND by my doctor. And in that intervening sort of four and a half, five weeks, I was going down and down and down. Um, but then even after being diagnosed with PND at the six week point, it wasn't really until I ended up being admitted to a mother and baby unit that I felt that people knew what they were really doing with me. By that point, I was nine weeks into it. So there's just not enough understanding out there. And I don't think the services are linking up mm-hmm. properly. I think the perinatal services aren't linking up with the secondary, like general health services. I want to talk to you guys now about what you think personally helped you and what potentially might 
give some advice or guidance to others who are struggling. So Gabby, can I come back to you? I know yours is quite a unique situation because you had psychosis and then you had postnatal depression following that. But can you talk a little bit about what helped you personally? The thing that helped me most was actually finding a community through the Cedar House group that were willing to kind of share their story and kind of almost legitimise how I was feeling. And I think by the time I found Liz, which was about three months after my, my lowest point, I really needed the ability to kind of process some of the trauma because I found really my entire mothering experience since Percy was born, it was a big trauma and I wasn't really able to kind of express that. I think um, I was seen by a whole stream of psychiatrists who were very willing to take my liberty away by detaining me under sections of the Mental Health Act that happened to me twice. They were very willing to give lots of medication, this pill, that pill, um, all very high dose, um, which, uh, you know, I will say did help. But the kind of soft side of things, kind of psychological therapy really was in such short supply in the early days. And, you know, it was really only once I had kind of come through the crisis that I was able to kind of talk about what had happened um, with, with people who understood. So um, my advice would definitely be to kind of seek out help, seek a group like Cedar House or even just counselling individually. I think it's so important to be able to kind of share how you're feeling. And although I would say there's definitely a role for medication, it's one branch of a, a kind of a multi-branch strategy. And I, I really think that um, talking does help. So I would recommend that. I agree completely. And when I was ill, I really wanted it just to be a magic pill that I just took and it was done because I couldn't face all the work that goes into healing, really. But what you said, community, is so important because a lot of the conversations in the group allow you to be able to share how you feel and often it's the stigma around these thoughts or these ideas and feeling that you're broken or there's something wrong with you that reinforces your illness and you can you could say how you feel in a group and it is totally accepted and there's no judgment and you need to hear other people saying me too me too that's how I feel James do you want to chat about what helped you what maybe you think might be useful for maybe other dads to to understand who might be going through what you went through certainly i think for me initially i was just searching and searching and searching to try and find some kind of success story as i said um i never actually found many to be honest with you all i found all i found doing the internet stuff was it was a tale of woe however as everybody said, and you know something as well, hearing everybody else or seeing people sort of face to face, so to speak, hearing them say what they're saying is so refreshing because, you know, at the time, I mean, yes, I was using the internet and looking for things, but other than speaking to Liz on the phone, because we didn't do Zoom then or anything like that, um, you do feel like, I don't know, unless you can hear it coming out of someone's mouth or see them like this, it, it changes my whole perspective of it now hearing it because I think if we could have done something like this or I could have done something like this at that point in time it would have definitely taken the edge off it a bit for me I think the fact as a man I could not find anything anywhere on the internet that gave me any inclination of was this normal was I nuts 
uh, anything like that. And it was only when I spoke to Liz that she said, look, a lot of people do go through this. I think I saw something the other day that said, is it 10% of dads? I think it was. I heard on the podcast, actually, yeah, with you guys, yeah. But I, I can't find anybody, and I, I speak to a lot of people, and I, I can't ever get anyone to admit it. So it's, um, I, I genuinely think I find it a little bit more difficult for me personally because of the fact that there was that stigma attached. But certainly, I think community, I think that was a great, a great word to use for it, having a community where you can bounce off each other, just speak to someone openly and not be worried that you're going to sound like an absolute fruit loop to be honest with you because that's what you worry about inside is feeling that you are what's coming out of your mouth will sound absolutely crazy to someone but I think anyone that's in the position that we've been in would just sit there and go well thank god someone else thinks that as well or has had that crazy thought because it just normalizes it for me um, that, and that's what it's about because you do feel like when you're in that place that you are possibly beyond help and that you you cannot possibly recover or come back from where you are and that's total nonsense because you can. You absolutely, you will get there and you will get through it. it. I think it's just about making sure you don't believe what you're thinking all the time because it's not true. I, I agree totally. And also your feelings need to be validated and your feelings need to be allowed. So your thoughts are often rational or obsessional and that is not the truth. Being able to speak in this group and even tonight hearing for instance, Cherie saying, that was the worst day of my life, like the birth of my child. That's how you felt at the time. I remember saying, this has been the worst 10 days of my life at that 10 day appointment with the doctor. And my boyfriend was really upset saying, how can you say that? How can you possibly say that? And I was like, genuinely, I can't express how bad this has been. And what have I done? I've made a massive mistake. Saying that outside of a supportive community can actually feel very isolating. When you say that in the group, People are like, mm-hmm, me too, me too. And then you think, yeah. I'm not a monster and I am ill and it's not that I'm some kind of sociopath or psychopath. Like there is actually something behind this and I can connect with other people. Yeah. I think for, for me as well there is that I, I've not been shy about telling people. I know there's a massive stigma around it and if I can help a couple of people and certainly any men that, that listening to this or uh, doing the internet searching, if anyone can come across it, like I was so desperate to and actually find someone that says, look, it's really bad at the moment. It's awful. It's the worst thing you can ever experience, but you will get better. Just give it some time and, and actually try and understand what you're thinking isn't real. And it's just part of the process that you have to go through. It's amazing when you actually start to speak to a lot of other guys, how much they will then open up and then you'll get more out of them because it's just very obvious that men just don't want to talk about it and, and that's that's where we're at so and hopefully we can try and change that and do something about it because at the end of the day if someone's struggling whether you're a male or a female you need help and it's as simple as that so oh my gosh so much so and with women I don't I don't know if it's the same in your experience but with women I feel like there's this really unrealistic expectation around motherhood anyway and people are often giving off this really probably not accurate picture of what motherhood's like so I had no filter I was so depressed I was literally walking around going like I can't stand my life I'm this is it and even people who weren't depressed were saying to me oh do you know what I've actually not enjoyed this or that or I've really struggled with this so just opening up about you know the reality of parenting and everything else it's so hard without depression and you know having psychosis it's it's just really hard anyway and I think people just need to be more honest about what they they're feeling Cherie what helped you 
Yeah, I think it was the, this community. I knew I wasn't well, but because my pregnancy was difficult, everyone was kind of like, oh, you're fine now because you've had the baby, you must be fine now. So I knew I couldn't tell people how badly I felt. And even in trying to, it was like, oh, no one wants to hear that. They just see a cute baby. They see that I'm, I'm alive and that's it. Trying to get help early on if you can, because in waiting for therapy, I was getting worse. Nia was only six weeks old when I started to see the house, but even in that six weeks, I hadn't slept. Even though she was sleeping, I couldn't sleep. And I was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I think if I had waited, it wouldn't have been good. So getting help early on if you can. And it's almost as well not listening to people that know you sometimes. People mm -hmm. telling you that you're fine. People telling you that, oh, it's just the baby boost. Like, you know yourself that it's not okay. It's hard to when you're not well, but trusting that and seeking out help earlier I think helped me because I think it could have got way worse. Our families often don't, and our friends don't like seeing us in pain and they, they feel really uncomfortable bearing that. And it's a bit of denial sometimes sort of, you know, for them saying, oh no, you just got baby blues, you're fine because they don't want you to be suffering. Sometimes having someone a bit more objective like Liz or being in a support group, people don't know you and, and you don't owe them some kind of pretense that everything's okay and you don't worry about feeling like you have to protect their feelings. Your friends and your family, they want to make you better. And particularly, no disrespect to you, James, or any other men, but you guys are so good with us when we need things fixed on a practical level. Nine times out of 10, my husband can fix things practically for me, but emotionally, we can't do that for people. So I think it's very frustrating, particularly for partners and family members to say, well, if you try this and you try this and you try that, but obviously it's not going to make any difference to you in the beginning. It's very frustrating that they can't actually sort of help you get better. I felt that, and I still feel to this day, until you've actually experienced depression and anxiety, it's really hard to understand what somebody's going through. So I would be very selective about who I spoke to. And I have a best friend who actually, she hasn't been through it, but she's had lots of um, coaching and counseling. She was really understanding, but I had another best friend. Um, and I remember telling her how I was feeling and explaining that I was on medication. And she said to me, you, you're not gonna take those pills, are you? I don't think that's a good idea. And then from then on, I thought, right, I know I can't talk to you about it. So yeah, until I found Liz's group, that was really the turning point for me. I'd say medication, that definitely helped me. I remember being able to talk about anything in the group without any judgment. It got to a point where I'd actually look forward to going each week and sharing how I was feeling and seeing my friends and gave me something to look forward to. Even if I'd had an awful week, that one appointment each week would give me something to focus on because I, I really isolated myself. So the, the group was just life-changing for me. Emma, what did you find helpful in your recovery? I'd say the best start to my recovery was the lovely ladies at the Children's Centre recognising something wasn't right. And when one of them came over to me and said, here's the leaflet and I went to Cedar House for the first time completely listening to all the other ladies I felt a, like I could take a deep breath and think oh, 
you get it. I, I belong here. This is just a safe, lovely hub where I can come and I can release. It's so hard when you're going through this. Um, James touched on it. You feel like you're a walking, forgive me, head case. You feel like you're just a time bomb ticking and you just can't understand what is going on. You just know you don't feel right. And for every time I attended the group, I just felt this release and also a little as I was releasing the negative a little piece of me would be coming back to replace that and I will say for the lovely ladies that volunteer within Liz's group handing Oliver over to them for the first time was a huge deal because it was a trust thing for me I, I couldn't even at the time trust my husband to look after Oliver let alone someone else and that was a therapy in itself because there were ladies that had gone through it that I discovered. So to be able to sit and share and have Oliver looked after by someone and know that he's happy and healthy and it all pieced together beautifully. And then being able to go on to medication, which I have to say, I was one of those women that would say, nope, not taking it, not taking it. I'm going to put lavender oil on my pillow. I'm going to um, do a bit of CBT. I, I will get better. For me, it, it, the therapy and the medication hit the nail on the head and I was able then to sleep, which also then helped me hugely because when you have a good night's rest, you can tackle the following day in such a better headspace. Um, so certainly a combination of all those has now left me being able to allow myself to do the things I enjoy. I'm a naturally creative person, so again, being able to feel calmer has allowed me then to spare an hour of, of the day to do the things I love. And I just feel I'm now becoming how I used to be rather than the mess I was before. <laughs> Part of something that helped me was I started a university course while I wasn't feeling well. I'd applied for it, of course. I did my postgrad on maternity leave and having something else to focus on and think about really helped me because when I was put on bed rest I had to stop working immediately and it was just such a shock and just finding something that was for me without being a mum just like one day a week going to uni it felt really stressful and horrible feeling so ill but it really helped me to recover and also giving Nia to someone and getting to have a cup of tea by myself that was like the best thing ever just to have a minute to yourself yeah that helps me do you want to chat about cedar for us and go go ahead yeah I think you've covered actually quite a lot of what I wanted to talk about, about the group. Um, and I know James hasn't been through the group. And as we've been sitting here, I'm thinking oh, we ought to start up a group for men, really. Perhaps you and I, James, would do it on Zoom together. <laughs> um, Giving you a thumbs up. for the So I think I'd, I'd really like to start with you, James, because obviously you found me online, but you didn't come to the group. You live in a different part of the country to me so we only did telephone counselling but I'd like to ask you how you felt talking to someone that you didn't know and talking about something so deeply emotional how did that really help you? 
Well, I think the first thing is you're saying you don't know somebody. I think possibly when I was at that point, when I first contacted you, it was probably easier to be open and honest and tearful and all that sort of stuff with someone I didn't know. Because I think to do that with someone I, I knew or that was close to me, I would have possibly I'd have found that more difficult, I think. The fact you're on the phone as well and you couldn't see me crying was a bonus. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I mean, honestly, Liz, if I hadn't found you at that point, I'd, I know it sounds, it sounds daft to say, I don't know what, where I would have gone with it because I'd already done all the, the searching and couldn't find anyone to talk to. My, as I said, my GP, I didn't feel was any use. So um, I was at the end of my tether at that point. But certainly getting hold of you and, and finding you in the way I did online and reading the, the testimonials, I think, is what initially drew me to the website because that's what I was mainly looking for is people's stories. Um, that's what I was after. Just hoping someone, everyone would say, yeah, you'll get better, you'll get better. But then actually hearing it from yourself, pretty much straight off the bat saying, yeah, you understand. That was the, the thing for me because you were the first person I've spoke to that said, yeah, what you're thinking is normal. Um, whereas to me, I, I was, in my head, I was insane. But what, when you, ra you rationalised everything and, and explained why I was thinking what I was thinking and, and, that it, and explained it would go, I think the sheer relief that you feel when someone can actually say that to you that's got experience of having gone through it, and also the fact that you mentioned to me that obviously lots of other guys go through this sort of thing, that was my big, big one because I couldn't find any stories anywhere about men really willing to talk about it and share their story. So that was a big one for me as well. Was it difficult for you that I was a female counsellor? Did you think, oh, maybe it would have been better for you to have a male counsellor? I'd had counselling, therapy, whatever you want to call it, with a, a gentleman about the same time and, and prior to speaking to yourself as well. I personally didn't buy, find that was of any benefit, but I think if you're going to, and this is probably something that, that's, that might resonate with a few people, if you're going to have therapy or going to have counselling, there's no saying that the first person you go to and that you speak to, you're going to click with and that, that what they say is going to resonate with you and it's going to sink in. I genuinely think you've got to have some kind of spark or connection or bond with the person that you, you, you're taking advice from about your life or your mental health, ultimately. Yeah, and I, and I didn't get that from the guy that I, I spoke to originally, but for whatever reason it was, Liz, I clicked with you and, and what you said resonated with me and, and that's where all this recovery journey started, really. So, And I think that's a really valid point that you've made because I think for other people out there who may be listening to this podcast is if they haven't um, been able to reach out as yet, is what was it for you that allowed you to feel safe in talking to a complete stranger at the other end of the country? Because I think a lot of people will think, well, hold on a minute, how can I trust this person? But at that point in time, when you are down the rabbit hole, in the battle, whatever you want to call it, you're, I think you'd, you're prepared to do anything or give anything a go because you just want out. And, that, and that's, that's where you're at. And, and you're the only person I could find with a mobile phone number on the internet. So obviously it was just very easy to contact you, which was a massive bonus for me because I literally texted you within about 10 seconds of seeing your phone number. So um, yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't bother me speaking to you because at that point, as I say, beggars can't be choosers at that point you you literally want to try and fix again is the wrong word because you can't fix this this goes with time but um in that point i just would was so desperate to speak to anybody that it didn't didn't worry me speak uh, about speaking to you on the phone at all and being honest if you'd have the opportunity to go along to a face-to-face -face group for men with pnd would you have done that 
Absolutely. And I, and I'd go in looking forwards, I'd love to be involved in something like that. Um, it's taken me a long time to get to this point, which is why I always said I'd, I'd write you a story um, when I got through this and I, and I left it and left it and left it because I tried to leave it all behind me, as bad as that sounds, um, because you lose to me, although a saviour, yes, is one word. It was also a memory um, of a really bad time. Everyone has low mood. The problem we've all got is because we've all been there, as soon as you get that little bit of low mood or that weird thought that pops in your head, all of a sudden you think you're back there and you're not. It's just the same old normal weird thought, low mood that every man on the street has, man and woman has, except we buy into it because you've been there before and you know how bad it feels. That, that's where I'm at with it anyway. But yeah, I tried to distance myself from all this, so that's why I left it so long before contacting. But yeah, certainly now, I, I just want to try and, and help folk with it. But I think having a group, especially of men, game-changing for me, because I would have felt so much more comfortable knowing that there's, there's that community that, that we used the word earlier. Would you have thought about coming into a group of, of mothers as well, if you were the only guy? No chance. <laughs> but, but on here tonight, you've actually, you know, you've interacted so well with everybody. Yeah, well, I mean, we all just want to help people, don't we? That, that's why we're on here, is we all just want to try and get our side across and make sure people know that, and certainly for me, the reason I've come on is know that for, for the blokes that speak up, speak out, because you're not weird, you're not strange, loads of us go through it, and you will get out the other side of it. And if I have to be that person to stand up and and say it then so be it so someone got to do it so can i just butt in here as well and suggest this group that you're going to set up for blokes i think that there should also be partners involved so i know with for me my boyfriend didn't have anyone to talk to he wasn't going through paternal pnd but he didn't have anybody to talk to in supporting me so that would be really good if if men would want to go to that all women partners need support and community too I mean, that's something we do offer at Cedar House, usually, obviously, when we're sort of face-to-face. -face. I think Ian came along, didn't yeah. he, uh, to one session? As we hold it in a pub, so it's a bit of an incentive for the guys to come along, have a pint, and, you know, chat with other guys who are supporting their partners, and it works very well. But I've also done it when we've had the men and the women together, and that hasn't worked so well because neither feel really sort of free enough to, to open up really and say how terrible they're feeling about things for fear of upsetting their partner. Cherie, you were going to add something. Oh, no, I was just going to ask James how your partner was, um, because I've never heard the other side. Awful. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's understandable, though. I mean, it was a difficult birth, first child, cesarean section, yeah, I mean, there's a you you as the man you sort of go to the bottom of the of the pecking order, but that wasn't that didn't bother me because Evie had to come first and she had to come second, and and that's what it was. It was either look after this helpless baby or try and look after me. There's there's never going to be a question there, obviously, as to what her priority was, and and quite rightly so. Uh, but yeah, probably not being able to feel like I could be open and talk to her definitely made a difference that had a big impact on probably how bad i let it get yeah so yeah the whole thing you were talking about earlier is about having been able to talk to someone like a partner bring a partner along and that sort of thing yeah i think if you're in it together then it would make a big difference definitely did anyone else um feel themselves pushing their partner away yep <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i felt 
actually a bit resentful towards my husband. He works long hours, he's got a travels a lot with his job and I ended up resenting him for it. But as I got better, you know, we became closer. Yeah, it it completely uh, almost destroys, you know, your relationship, doesn't it? It's it's devastating. It, absolutely on the partner front. Um for me it was all about not allowing Richard to um, look after Oliver on his own Uh, for me it was a a trust thing and my behavior did push us apart we actually called in on Liz one time to um, sort of assist really and and, uh, oh gosh James I wish Richard had um, met you or spoken to you on the phone because he had no one to speak to about what he was going through and we all have our struggles in life and Richard has a pressure job and was going through various different things with that but on top of that he was going through someone at home who had changed who wasn't letting him in and um he needed to speak to someone about that he couldn't speak to me because he didn't want to upset me or send me over the edge he didn't know what frame of mind i was going to have on that day so thank you liz for allowing richard to speak to someone who understood and knew um i'd say it's it's saved our relationship if i hadn't have met liz i don't know where we would have been and that's so sad and i'd say to anyone out there seek help speak to someone reach out any services that are on offer um that you know someone's recommended something especially services like for example for me um the children's center who's were known and trusted and who were able to put me in contact with liz that was the start of a happy journey going also back to what louise said it's so important to be careful who you speak to in recovery because there are a lot of people when I did begin to speak to people especially I'd say of the older generation who would say rain on my parade if you like and say well we just got on with it they just didn't understand where you're coming from it was almost like PND was a newly created excuse for falling apart and not coping and it's not that and Liz puts it beautifully to you it is a chemical imbalance you can't help the way you feel Do you think it's made a difference to you all that I've been through it myself? Absolutely, 110%. Yeah, definitely. My therapist, I I did click with her, but because she hadn't had children herself, I was quite dismissive at the start. I was like, she doesn't even know how horrible it is, just in general being a mum. So yeah, that you'd been through it really made me listen. I was going to ask Gabby, from your perspective, the fact that you went through psychosis and then the PND, how was your experience with Liz? Because obviously Liz hasn't had psychosis. It's interesting. If you were to ask me whether I thought the psychosis or the postnatal depression was more difficult, I would definitely say it was the postnatal depression. I mean, my psychosis came on very suddenly, but I was able to recognize that I was unwell. And because it's a psychiatric emergency, actually 
the care was quite swept up. I was quickly taken away to a mother and baby unit um, and I was there for seven weeks away from my family, which was awful. I was sectioned under the Mental Health Act while I was there, which was awful. But there was very much the sense that people kind of knew what they were doing. There was a treatment regime. There was kind of various therapeutic interventions. And actually, you know, after seven weeks, they sort of said, you're not acutely psychotic anymore off you go back to normal life and I think perhaps that massive shock and having to kind of readjust to normal life and sort of be an independent parent on my own when I'd been in for the last seven weeks I've got no doubt that that kind of precipitated the depression that then kind of came on but you were asking if it mattered that Liz hadn't had psychosis well not really because when I went to see Liz I didn't feel that I had a problem with psychosis I'm on antipsychotic medication and I haven't been psychotic since I was on the mother and baby unit so really it was the postnatal depression that I needed help with and it kind of bizarrely when I came out of the mother and baby unit I was then under a community psychiatric team and you were asking earlier about kind of whether a GP was helpful or not. I haven't actually seen a GP um, the whole time that I've been through this. So I was under a sort of specialist um, psychiatric team, but I don't think they necessarily grasped how serious my postnatal depression was. When I first phoned up and said, actually, you know, I'm not feeling great. And um, they sort of tinkered around with my antipsychotic medication rather than starting an antidepressant. It was very difficult for me to recognize that the postnatal depression was as serious as it was because I was coming through psychosis. There was this sense of what's normal, you know, is it because I've had a psychotic episode and is that why I'm feeling sort of so low? You know, I was thinking kind of ostensibly if I had been feeling that low before the psychosis, I would have gone to my GP, who I really trust. And I often wonder if I would have had better care if I'd gone to my GP. I think the perinatal team did try for me and I don't want to sort of criticise them too much because they were in two minds whether to send me back to the mother and baby unit with my depression um, but because I had found that such a traumatic experience the first time round I petitioned really strongly to stay at home despite feeling absolutely desperate and I think that was one of the things that was a really big shock to me was that actually I was beyond helping myself um, I'd never before in life experienced an illness where I lost the ability to actually help myself so you know help was offered go back to the mother and baby unit and I was sat there saying oh no I'm fine I'm fine I can't possibly go back to a mother and baby unit again and be separated from my family so I think the perinatal team did the best they could, but I think they're quite a blunt tool. They had their pot of pills and they had the ability to section me under the Mental Health Act. But what they never said was actually, you're in a really low mood. What you really need is the support of other people. It was a real shock to me that the perinatal team knew of Liz's Cedar House group, but 
it wasn't something they brought to my attention when they first knew I had low mood. It's a real disservice that even though they knew of Liz's group, they, they didn't recommend it because I just think it's been the most helpful, helpful thing. There's a very medical approach with treatment and I've been in the MBU. Maybe one day we'll have an MBU chat. But um, yeah, you need to be treated like a whole person and beneath beneath what's going on in your mind, you need to have connection and you need to be able to connect with other people because ultimately you're disconnected from yourself, your life, your expectations, your hopes, your grieving, your you feel like you've experienced so much loss. And that is the most powerful thing, I think. For me, the, the Cedar House group was... Besides, you know, having the medication in the unit and psychotherapy, but the big, the big thing in my recovery was the Cedar House group. Agreed. Agreed, definitely. Yeah. Agreed, definitely. Just listening to everyone is really powerful, what you've all been saying, and so many similarities. And I'd just like to say that I always say this to girls that come through the group, people that I counsel on the phone, how incredible you all are you know this is one of the worst illnesses you can ever go through and you are very very strong amazing people to go through every single day of struggling with this illness but on a positive note like James has said I think Louise you felt it too Gabby you've alluded to it in the group that you can feel better than you have felt before you know once you've gone through this journey and come out the other side so Although it's a very debilitating and negative journey to go on, it can have very, 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 very positive outcomes at the end of it. As I listen to all of you, and every time I've done a podcast, I've just been absolutely in awe of the people on, on this. And I think you're so brave and so strong and so inspiring. And I've always felt that about the women in the group, including Liz. So it's trying to have that mindset about ourselves and and not beat ourselves up and think we're weak or there was something wrong with us or we shouldn't be feeling like this. That is the way we're feeling and trying to apply some of that compassion, which I was totally rubbish at this when I was ill, but I would be looking at other women in the group going, oh my gosh, you can do this. I've got your back. Like you're amazing. But to myself, I was just like, oh, you're disgusting. <sighs> trying to apply a bit of that to ourselves and realize actually guys, look what we've come through. <laughs> it's amazing. It is incredible. Um, thank you so much, all of you. You've been absolutely brilliant. You're going to help a lot of people through this. So thank you all so, so much. Mm -hmm.